Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Okay, Deuteronomy 6. If you happen to have a Bible, Deuteronomy 6. And this is part two in our series, chugging along with how God gives you a promise, then you run smack into a problem, then if you get through the problem, you get to the provision. Promise, problem, provision. And it's important to know that principle will revolutionize your life, your marriage. It'll transform your physical and mental health. It can light a fire under your business profile. It can cause your potential for personal advancement to soar off the chart. And that principle is understanding how it gets us from his promise through a problem to the provision. The Bible is filled with it. Hey, let's review what we said last week just to bring us back up to date. Number one, everything in God's Word comes to you and me in a promise form. Salvation is a promise. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Prosperity is a promise when we obey God's principles. Joshua 1, 8, Psalms 1, 1 John 1, 2. Over and over, he tells us many, many times what we can do in order to advance ourselves and to prosper. God promised Israel to, to deliver them out of Egyptian bondage, right? And bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. There are over 3,000 promises in God's Word. Number two, after the promise comes the problem. God led Israel out of Egypt into a wilderness. He told them what to do. He gave them instructions, ah, but they refused to obey. And God let them take another lap around Mount Sinai, and that went on for 40 years. And Israel went round and round and round the same problem because they just didn't get it that they were the problem. And God was using the problem to show them what's in them. Yeah. That was important before they could enter the provision, which is the promised land, of God. So understand it's God's will for you and me to enter our promised land, our destiny, with flowing with milk and honey. It's an abundant, it's good. God wants to take us out of Egypt, a land of not enough, into the wilderness, which is just enough, into a land flowing with milk and honey, which is more than enough. Wouldn't you like to have more than enough? Well, sure you would. And it's God's will that you do. But you have to be willing to accept his provision with his promise and demand. Number three, how you react in the problem determines how long you stay in the problem. Some people never learn. You know, they've had one experience 40 years. They just didn't get it. Israel was in the problem 40 years. Jesus was in the problem 40 days. What's the difference? Well, Israel wouldn't change. But every time the Son of God was tempted in the wilderness, he stood on the Word of God. It is written. It is written. He stood on the Word of God and went straight through the problem. And folks, the quickest way to solve your problem, any problem, is to go straight through it, standing on God's Word. For 20 years, some people circle the mountain of a problem. Get done with it. Don't make a career out of your problem. I want to get rid of that sucker as quick as I can. 
Number four, we said the greater the promise, the greater the problem. If God gives you a million-dollar promise, you're going to get a million-dollar promise. Merry Christmas. You're going to get a problem worth a million bucks. You're not going to get a two-dollar $2 problem and get a million-dollar promise. So to whom much is given? Mucho. I'm bilingual. Much, much shall be required. The more you want in life, the higher the price. Number five, your life will be measured by the problems you solve or the problems you create. And if you want to stay employed anywhere in the world, solve problems. Anybody can find a problem. Solve them. Your value is determined by the ones you solve, not the ones you create. That's true in our professional life, our married life, our spiritual life. Number six, we said the problem that irritates you the most constantly is probably the problem God has assigned you to solve. The problem that upset Moses was the oppression and slavery of his own people. He killed an Egyptian trying to solve that problem. So God put him on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, then brought him again to face Pharaoh. This time, he did it under God's leadership, the way God said, and set the children of Israel free. Number seven, we said problems do not have to be permanent unless our rebellious attitude won't submit to the will of God. You ever hear this? You talk to somebody, want to help them, love them, and they always say, I know, but. I know that, but. I know that, but. They have a big but. I know that, but. But you don't do it. It doesn't do you any good until you do it. So first, God brought Israel to Sinai. They were there just a few days. God gave them the Ten Commandments, and then the church added 430 more to it. Really, the Pharisees did, 750 actually. And God said, will you obey? So Moses is talking to God on the top of the mountain, and the children of Israel are in the valley below. They had already made a golden calf. They had elected a new pastor while Moses was gone. And they were having an orgy. Not good. <laughs> this is not going to end well. So God forced them to take another lap around the mountain. And they had to pack and unpack the same tent over and over. And God said to them, look, guys, you can sing just a closer walk with thee until your lips blister. But you're, you're going to keep going around in circles until you see what's in you is the problem. So after a few years touring Sinai, Israel came back to the starting line. And God says, now will you obey me? And they said, we hate this manna every day, every meal, and we don't like it. God said, okay, Sparky, take another lap around the mountain. And here they go again. I mean, they must have wore out all kind of running shoes. And you can go around the mountain the rest of your life. You can be singing, how great thou art, just a closer walk with thee, or I feel like something good's about to happen. But when you come back from shouting and singing and jumping, God's going to ask you again, will you obey me? And Israel said, we'd like to form a committee and do a feasibility study. We'd like to send 10 people into this land to see if we can really do what you said. We know you gave us this promise. You gave it to our fathers 430 years ago, but we'd like to be real sure you can do it. And God says, okay, take another lap. I'll let you keep circling this mountain until every one of you dies. And that's exactly what happened. That whole generation died in the desert. A two-week journey 
And they end up dying in the problem because they never got it through their thick heads that they were the problem. It took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt and 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Now, how does that apply to you and to me? You can get saved in a second, but it can take 20 years to get the world and that thinking out of you until you can become a fully devoted follower of Christ. I mean, just because you can find the book of Luke without a seeing eye dog, don't start a deliverance ministry or challenge Billy Graham. You've still got a lot to learn, Bubba. Now, because I've said that, I'm certain none of you have a problem with doubt, rebellion, complaining, murmuring, or bitterness, or memories of the past. But I bet some of you have relatives that do. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, back to Deuteronomy 6. Let's read that. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 and 2. These are all the commands, laws, and regulations the Lord your God told me to teach you, so you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and so you and your children and grandchildren might fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey His laws and commands, you're going to enjoy long life. Listen closely, Israel, to everything I say. Be careful to obey, then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestor, promised you. Verse 10, the Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land filled with large, prosperous cities that you didn't build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from wells you did not dig. You will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. Wow. So let's talk about the purpose of the problem. How many here have a problem? Any kind of a problem? Yeah. Now let me tell you, you're blessed. Why, Rick? Because problems are proof you're a card-carrying member of the human race. Everybody has problems. The rich and the poor, everybody's got problems. Senior citizens, which I am, have unique problems. A group of senior citizens were exchanging complaints about their affliction, their illnesses. One senior citizen was saying, my arm is so weak I can hardly hold up a cup of coffee. A second one said, yeah, I know, my cataracts are so bad I can hardly see to pour the coffee. The third one said, my head hurts so bad and my neck has so much arthritis I can't turn it left or to the right. The fourth guy said, my blood pressure pills make me dizzy, but I have a lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful because we can all still drive. <laughs> Welcome to Texas. Then there are problems created by emergencies. Sue broke her leg. Her husband, Bob, called 911 for help. The 911 operator said to Bob, uh, he'd send the ambulance right away. And the operator said, Bob, where do you live? And Bob said, I live at the end of Eucalyptus Drive. The operator says, can you spell that for me? Well, there was a long pause. Finally, Bob said, how about I drag her over to Oak Street? You can pick her up there. <laughs> Senior citizens. Now, here's the good news. God himself can't help a man or a woman who has no problem. How can you know God is a healer if you've never been sick? How can you know God is your provider unless you've had some great need? 
How can you know that God is a friend who sticks closer than a brother unless you've been abandoned or rejected by people you love the most? How can you know God is a deliverer without having known the chains of misery and habit that enslaved you, embarrassed you a thousand times, and robbed you of your personal dignity and destroyed the value of your good name? If you have a problem, you're in a great place to experience the miracle-working power of God to solve the problem. David wrote, many are the afflictions of the righteous. I hate he put that adjective. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. I like that. So you find the God you serve can make a way where there is no way. He can make crooked ways straight, Scripture says. He can lift up valleys. He can remove mountains. He can give you streams in your desert. He can give you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant. Then he says, no good thing will the Lord withhold from those that diligently seek him. No good thing. Come on. No one ever gets beyond the reach of problems. I'm sorry you won't do it. I don't care how nice you are, polite you are, obedient you are, you'll have trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Get over it. I've overcome the world. Right? So don't think it's some strange thing, the book of James says. It isn't strange. It's normal. It's like Doc Holliday said to Wyatt Earp. There ain't no normal life, Wyatt. There's just life. And that's a fact. It's just part of life. You know? So... You nobody gets beyond the reach of problems. There's no man or woman wise enough to escape all the problems of life. I mean, the only man I said last week with his problems behind him is a school bus driver. Nobody else. There's just no escape from problems. Not by drugs, sex, alcohol, money. Problems are an asset. Some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? If problems are an asset, then I'm as rich as Elon Musk. But we run from problems. We complain about problems. The problems have made you what you are. Problems are the reason for every improvement you've ever made. Anybody but me ever made some improvements because of a problem? You had to grow or die, one or the other. That's a fact. It's an oyster irritated by sand that produces the priceless pearl. Our antagonist is actually our helper. It forces you to grow, to change, to find out where you're weak. To become stronger. It sharpens our wit. It develops our, our, our mind, our, our will, and it transforms our spine into steel. An adversary does that. They're necessary. Dr. Marie Ray, a psychologist, made a study of the great lives in America to see if there was any common denominator that produced these great people. She said, after a lot of study, there is a common denominator. To live a great life, she said, all these people had to solve a great problem. She used as an example Helen Keller. She was born deaf and blind and who went on to graduate from college with honors. So what's your problem? <laughs> I used to use that as an example to my children. <laughs> what's your problem, girls? Glenn Cunningham burned over 90% of his body in a, in a school fire. Doctors told him he would never walk again. But Glenn went on to become a world-class track star, nearly breaking the four-minute mile. Franklin Roosevelt was president of the United States in a wheelchair. So Dr. Ray's conclusion was, no one succeeds in life who hasn't been driven by a great problem to overcome it and do their very best in it. So your problem produces resistance, and it's resistance of air that allows a plane to fly. 
It's the resistance of water that allows a ship to float. It's the resistance of gravity that gives you the ability to walk. So stop praying for a lighter cross to bear and start praying for the strength to carry the cross that Christ has given you. In other words, get stronger. Get hard. Stay that way. You need it in this world today. It's just you step out of this building and the, the world, everything around it is anxiety and stress and, and anxiousness. It's all around. And a lot of people are suffering mentally because of it. Now, you've got the Word of God to stand on, the Holy Spirit to empower you. There's no reason for you to have a breakdown. None at all. Don't you do it. You've let your mind wander. You've, you've gotten away from the promises, and you're going to stay in a problem. No, no, no. We overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm not going to be defeated by that. I can be attacked, but I'm not, going, I'm not going down. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. Now, that doesn't sound like somebody that's uh, uh, getting petted in some little comfort zone. We're in a war. So God gives you a promise. Then he allows a problem to test you and to develop you from a whining wimp to a warrior. Scripture says we're at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul in Ephesians 6 tells us, fight the good fight of faith. Put on the whole armor of God. What do I need to put on armor for if, if there's no fight? Just go to church, wear a nice dress, and praise the Lord. You're going to get your teeth kicked out. Pretty dress or not, you're going to get it. We're all going to get it. So be on guard. He tells us, endure hardness. Life is so hard. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus. You ever hear anybody in combat say, they didn't give us air conditioning? We got to eat a can rations. I wanted Chateaubriand. What is this nonsense? See, nobody talks like that. And, and Paul's using these illustrations spiritually to say we're in a fight. David said, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Come on, church, recognize there's no victory without a fight. There's no dawn without a night. There's no crown without a cross. And there's no testimony without a test. I hate them, but you got to go through them. You will, you'll either change or die, one of the things. You're going to get better or you're going to get bitter. You're not going to have a million-dollar testimony with a $2 trial. Every great person in the Bible had to solve a great problem. God used no one until they were tested in some trial in order to see how they responded. How would you like for God to tell you you're going to be the father of many nations and you don't even have a kid? You're 100 years old, your wife looks like 90 miles a bad road, and you're going to have a kid. <laughs> I think sometimes we sit in church and we don't put ourselves and think, dear God, what a guy this Abraham was. That's unbelievable. Then God said after he gets the kid, then God says, now kill him. And he did. I mean, he, he, it, God says, now I know, and stopped him. He wasn't going to let him kill him, but he was testing him. And Abraham passed the test. But, man, that had to be hard. And now he's the, called the father of all who believe. Yeah, isn't that sweet? Well, you want to be one like that? Then go through a big test like that and obey God when everything looks bad. Paul prayed three times for God to remove his thorn in the flesh. Here's a guy that had seen the dead raised. He had seen sick people made well, blind people see. And three times God said, sorry, Paul, no. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. George Whitfield, a great preacher of a bygone era, preached with asthma so bad people agonized with him listening to him wheeze. 
Smith Wigglesworth had great healing services, but he'd go home, roll on the floor in agony with kidney stones. Why? God was letting every person know that the source of that healing power was him, God, not the person he was using. It's never the person God's using. It's the God who is using them. Charles Spurgeon suffered with gout and depression and died at the age of 58. Percy, we'd be gone. That's up, 58. That looks young to me. I was looking at that teacher at almost, I said, she doesn't look old enough to teach. When you get past a certain age, everybody 30 looks like, well, you don't even, you're not old enough to get married. Anybody but me ever feel like that? It's kind of what age does to you, I guess. 58, man. Jonathan Edwards was so nearsighted, he had to read his sermon from a manuscript, holding it and putting his face up so close he'd get ink on his nose. And he did it monotone. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a sinless life, had the legitimacy of his birth questioned repeatedly. He was called a glutton and a wine-bibber. By the way, it's kind of hard to be a wine-bibber if you drink grape juice. Just want to throw that out for you Baptists. Okay. The government called him an insurrectionist too dangerous to live. How many can see that's a big problem if that's on your resume? Uh-huh. But Christ's response to the problem was, be not afraid, for I have overcome the world. I am the plunderer of death, hell, and the grave. I'm the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I am heaven's hope. I am hell's dread. I am the light of the world, the Lord of glory. Amen and amen. Don't sweat it. Jesus Christ was the promise of God to man. He endured the problem, tested by Satan 40 days in the wilderness. In his first coming, he came as a suffering servant. In his second coming, it will be king of kings and lord of lords. In his first coming, he rode a lowly donkey. When he comes again, he'll be on a white stallion leading the armies of God. And Scripture says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Kings will bow, presidents, prime ministers, dictators will bow because he is the Lord. Kim Jong-un in North Korea will bow his little fat knee and confess Jesus is Lord. Saddam Hussein, all these potates and dictators and wannabe leaders are all going to crawl down on the floor before their eternal judgment and confess, yeah, he's Lord. I want to do it now. I'm going to do it now. Let's look at how this principle works in your life and mine. This is how it works in marriage. You get a promise from God, you're going to have a marriage made in heaven. So what's coming? Problems. Marriage is made in heaven. So is thunder and lightning. <laughs> a honeymoon is that brief period of time between I do and you had better. You know, if a man speaks in the woods and his wife is not present, is he still wrong? One wife said to her husband, if you want breakfast in bed, Sparky, sleep in the kitchen. <laughs> men don't understand women, and women usually don't understand men. When a man shops, he spends money. When a woman shops, she saves money. They're just things we will never understand. My wife has about eight decorative pillows on our couch. Eight. When I want to lay down, I got to throw the pillows on the floor. Now, to me, they serve no purpose at all. But Cindy's response is, well, they're for people to look at. My response is, what people? We don't give guided tours through our house. 
let's, let's say God gives you a promise. I'll give you children. What's going to happen? Problems. Oh, Lord. Bible says children are a gift from the Lord. They're his reward. Happy is the man who has his quiver full. That's the promise. But I assure you, there's a problem. A man frantically called 911 and said, help, my wife's gone into labor. Her contractions are two minutes apart. And the 911 operator said, is this her first child? The man said, of course not, you moron. This is her husband. <laughs> you, you have to think about that. People get excited when they have a baby. You can watch a mother taking her baby into the church nursery, and you can know if it's her first kid. She's wrapped this little thing in the softest blanket. She's carrying it like nitroglycerin, and she lowers it into the crib so cautiously so that the slightest reverberation won't traumatize this little creature. You know, then she backs away from the crib. She threatens everybody in the nursery. If this baby cries, you call me immediately. And she leaves, and everybody's glad she leaves. See, two years later, she comes back with a second kid. She doesn't say anything. She hands the child off. Two years later, she comes back with the third kid and tosses it and says, if his nose bleeds, call me. That's what happens. And you young married couples, listen to me. Don't even think about having a baby that it will improve your marriage. Babies will put stress on every fiber of your being. They can be a blessing, but in your young age, when you're adjusting to each other, that little critter will cause you some real pain. Just, just saying, okay. How you see the problem is the problem. Every problem has two points of view, and every problem has more than one kind of a solution. A son came home from college wearing the latest millennial clothes, and the dad met him on the front porch and said, son, you look like an idiot in those clothes. At that exact moment, his neighbor walked by. She looked up and saw the boy on the porch and said, Hey, Joe, it's so good to see you home from college. You're looking more like your father every day. And Joe said, Yeah, my daddy was just telling me that. <laughs> Two points of view. My point is people can be different from you and not be wrong. I repeat that. It's how you see the problem that's the problem. Jeremiah made this statement. He said, I went down to the house of the potter. Now, the potter is the designer. He's working with clay, a type of humanity. And I saw him removing the imperfection. That would be the problem. So that he could make it a vessel that was very valuable, which is the provision. Bob Holbrook was a former staff member here at our church. He's in heaven now. He once took classes in pottery. And while the wheel is spinning, Bob gave us a demonstration Bob is using his hands, and he's feeling the clay as he shapes it. If his hand feels an imperfection, he stops the wheel, plucks out the lump of clay, and then starts all over again reshaping it. And that's how God perfects us. After Bob gets the vessel just right, he puts it into a blazing fire, and it's called the refiner's fire. And folks, it's in the fire. You find out who you really are. That's where you find out about your character, your integrity, and what you really, really believe. So, how does the potter know when to take the vessel out of the fire? He flicks the edges of the vessel with a fingernail, and if it sings, it's ready. If it doesn't, it goes back in the fire. So, folks, if God has you in the fire and he pulls you out, that is not the time to whine. 
If God pulls you out, sing, baby, sing. Dear God, sing. And if you don't, you're going to take another lap around the mountain. Three problems people of God had to face in their problem, and we close. Number one, you'll have them too, fear. At the Red Sea, Pharaoh and 600 chariots of war and the world's mightiest army was thundering through the desert pursuing Israel, and the people were desperately looking for help and didn't see any way out. In Exodus 14, verse 10, Moses speaks. He says, they were very afraid. In terror, they said to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Why, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Again, how you see the problem is the problem. Israel saw certain death. But Moses saw this problem from another perspective. He said, fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. And if you're facing the greatest problem of your life, you listen to Moses. Fear not, stand still, and see the provision of the Lord. If you're facing death, don't be terrified by what the exam said. Because though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for God is with me. Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. I am the Lord your God who heals all your diseases. You know, I was praying with a wonderful uh, family from our church the other day, somebody with a, a particular infirmity, and I like to use the name Jesus when I say in the name of Jesus. And I remember stopping, and it just occurred to me, to that demonic spirit of infirmity, I said, you hate this name, but I love this name. Eat it, Jesus, Jesus. It says, demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Use it against an affliction. Use it against infirmity. Use it against confusion, disorder, whatever's happening. That's a powerful name. That name that scares every demonic spirit. You hold the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus against that problem. I mean, God's given it to you. Use it or lose it. The second problem was not only fear, it was facing bitterness. God took them straight after victory to bitter waters. In Exodus 15, 23, it says, And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. So the question for us is, are you standing standing by some pool of bitterness? Do you remember a bitter childhood? Do you remember a bitter divorce? Do you remember a bitter business deal full of deception and betrayal? Well, what's the solution? Well, stop complaining and start talking to God about it. You know you're bitter when you know everything, but you believe nothing. As soon as Moses prayed, God showed him the solution. He showed him a tree. And when he cut down that tree and threw it in the water, the bitter water became sweet. The application of that tree was the cross Christ was crucified on, the bitter tree. And as soon as you apply the cross of Jesus to the bitter pool of your life, that bitterness can become sweet again as soon as Jesus walks in. All of the pain of the past is over. All the bitterness of yesterday he can remove. As you are invaded by a hope that is steadfast and sure. And the third and last problem Israel had to face was idolatry. I mean, they, they wanted to pray to everything. Exodus 20, verse 3. You should know it by heart. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images or likeness of anything in heaven, birds or fowl, or that's in the earth or in the water under the earth. Pretty clear to me. Would that include statues of people who once in the past served the Lord? 
That, that's, if I read the scripture, that's what he's saying. Those people that, that they kiss them and pray to them, these little statues, like it's got power. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's idolatry. You're a nice person. I'm not saying you're not a nice person, but maybe untaught. That's idolatry. I'm not trusting a rabbit's foot or a crystal to save me or deliver me. It has no ability to hear, to think, to act. It's just dead. God says idolatry is anything you use that only I can do or provide for you. Don't get superstitious and don't fall into idolatry. That would mean a plastic Jesus. He tells you not to make any image of him. No statue of a saint going to be on my dashboard. It's powerless. The God we serve is the God of the living. He's the God who speaks and hears. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he has the power to solve your deepest problem. Don't keep some image around that is powerless, deaf, and dumb. And the enemy can use that as a point of contact. No, no, no. God says, don't do it. My point is, and I close with this, in the Northeast, codfish is a major commercial business. There was once a market for codfish all over America. At first, shippers tried to freeze the codfish and ship it, but it destroyed the good taste. Then they tried shipping the codfish alive in seawater, and that was worse because when the fish arrived, they were mushy. Finally, somebody came up with a creative idea to solve the problem. The codfish were placed in a tank with their natural enemy, the catfish. And from the time the catfish was put in the tank with those codfish to the time they arrived at their shipping destination, that catfish was chasing those codfish all over the tank. And when the codfish arrived at their destination, they were fresh and full of flavor because they were alive and razor sharp. Their life depended on it. See, my point is God's put a catfish in your tank. The thing that will keep you alive and fresh and moving and keep you closely connected to God, God has allowed it in order to cause you to rise to higher levels of spiritual productivity. Each of us looks at our catfish, our problem, and we hate it. But that's the problem that sharpens you and sharpens you and shapes you and keeps you alive and fresh and full of flavor. God has it there. So learn to rejoice in it. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.